Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Cold Chinese Food Podcast. Today, I am joined by the marvelous, amazing Mateo Harris. He's a luxury. He's the luxury jeweler behind Mateo New York. Mateo is Jamaican American, strong emphasis on proud Jamaican. He's a world traveler with exquisite personal taste and aesthetic prowess. His jewelry is stunning and in, and in high demand. Mateo has adorned much of A-list Hollywood and is constantly in the fashion pages. And I'm proud and elated at his as, at his success. Very excited for this talk. We'll be getting into the Black Designers Fashion World Experience. Everyone, welcome Mateo. Mateo, say hi to everyone. Hi, everyone. Mateo, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. I can't complain. I mean, I'm a Gemini. You know, you know, you know how we do. Tell us about your designs. Tell us about your brand, what it is. Well, I started making jewelry in 2009. I mean, when I said I was going to make jewelry, everybody burst out laughing like, what? Nigga, what? You know, like <laughs> literally like, like you never went to fashion school. You never went to Parsons. You never went to MIT. You never went to um, FIT. You never went to, um, I don't know, Central St. Martin in Paris. I mean, in London. So everyone, everyone thought I was crazy. I mean, I told my mom I wanted to be a designer. She was just like, boy, you better come home, man. <laughs> and I'm like, no, I want to be a designer. She was like, no, come home. Started to ma- started making men's jewelry first. You know, you remember my little bed style apartment. Yes, <laughs> yes. I mean, it was a little. It was, it was great. I mean, that's Brooklyn living. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Brooklyn no, it was one is, is, floor is, you know. of a brownstone. I was really, you know, it was nice. It was nice. <laughs> but... <laughs> locked. You know, I used to lock myself into that little office sketching. You know, trying to come up with something that was not on the market. And luckily enough, I came up with, you know, making men's jewelry that was not on the market. Back in the days, everyone was wearing King Baby and Chrome Hearts. Oh, my and, God. You know, King Baby. Yeah. All of that. Yes, yes, uh, yes, yes, yes. All of that. Yes. And then I did a whole 360 where I took a man's toolbox and made a collection out of it. So we had screws that were cufflinks and bracelets and you know, Rihanna wore a piece and that's how things kind of really took off. Yes, I, I vividly remember that. Definitely. Yeah, her stylist, Mel Ottenberg, pulled the pieces and Rihanna wore it. And I, I remember I woke up, my Google alert went off. My name was on Just Jared. Rihanna's wearing Mateo's zipper necklace. And things really just fell into place and just started rolling since then. I mean, it wasn't easy. I've made a lot of mistakes along the way. But, I mean, that's part uh, you know, of it. I, I yeah, but a lot of people would have given up. But my my you know my black face is not a <laughs> not, not your black face is not a quitter. <laughs> no, I I you know I keep pushing because I I just don't ever want to fail. One of my mm. favorite lines is "failure is not an option." I even have it tattooed on my arm. You have, you're <laughs> so getting it's it tattooed. It's always a reminder. Oh wow! No, it's already there. Uh, I uh, got uh, it. Uh. It's I think it's it's. Yeah, it's already on my arm. <laughs> that is, that's tattooed. very intense. So you're giving yourself no other choice. <laughs> no. You know, the book Think and Grow Rich, the book, the book Think and Grow Rich speaks about, you know how when you grow up, they tell your parents tell you don't burn bridges. Yes. It's a, it's kind of a bad concept that we we have we have been taught. Okay. I'll tell you why. I don't mind burning a bridge because if i burn it it's it's for a particular reason i'm not supposed to be going back to whatever it was what is was it a habit was it a bad relationship some things need to be cut off so you can really grow and you can really progress so i am a firm believer that some things some bridges need to just be burnt down completely i mean i i i totally I mean, I agree with that 100 percent. Sometimes people often think that's a very like cold minded way of living. But it's also it's, it's seeing the big picture and understanding that some people are, are not going to get to where you need them to get to. And being around in your orbit is not contributing to anything positive for you. When when you're independent exactly. enough, you don't actually need them. <laughs> I mean, as, as messed up as Frank as it sounds, it's like, well, I don't really need friends. I choose to have friends and the ones I choose to have are people that I want around. So there's no codependency and issue. So, I mean, exactly. yeah, that's 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 a winner's mindset as I'm concerned. But then again, we're, we're both Geminis, so. 
<laughs> That's how we're going to sound about ourselves. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, so this is why the brand has survived all throughout these years. I mean, I've done everything with this brand. I've, I've had a TV show on HSN. God, that era was quite oh, taxing. I remember. Please, I did, I mean, please, I, let's, you know what? We're going to bookmark <laughs> that because first I want oh. you to tell us about Tell us about the the jewelry for people that are going to be listening and going to want to go online so they, you know, get an idea and sense. Like, what is it you want to convey? Who's the customer? What are you saying with your well, my, my main, my mom always says this, my mom and my grandma. She always says to me, always have good jewelry just in case something goes wrong. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. it's that old Caribbean thing where gold is power and gold is Ooh, key. That's, that's if, an African shit, if, thing as well. You know them uh-huh, African women, how they show up. <laughs> <laughs> right. So if shit hits the fan, you can go to a pawn shop or wherever. Exactly. That's very true. So the ethos of my brand is really just to make great personal jewelry for people so they can wear it. It doesn't need to sit in a jewelry box and I don't know, it comes out for a gala or a, a wedding. No, I want the jewelry that I make, it's to be worn every single day. You know, a lot of it's inspired by simplicity and minimalism, but truly dragging inspiration from contemporary art. So there's artists like Alexander Calder, the Russian painter Kandinsky. Um, I think a lot of inspiration from people like, you know, artists like Brancusi, his sculptures. So there's a bit of art infused with just simplicity and minimalism. I say if I can't wear it every day, I don't make it. That's amazing. And one of the things that that's very fascinating about you is the way you represent your brand is like more than I think any spokesperson or spokesmodel would. When I look at your pieces, I, I definitely think of you. And I think that the people that look at your jewelry also know know that you are this man that conveys like style and you know what's going on. And I think they trust that with your presence. And I think that adds to it, especially when you see someone who has, you know, designs that are more minimalistic. And I think it takes a lot of confidence and and talent to be able to create minimal, minimal designs and and know that and have confidence in it. Because like you said, we're you know, coming you were coming from an era of like King Baby and stuff <laughs> where everything was just like, show me what you got. Show me what you got. We're going just to Vegas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, that's that's one thing I really respect. So what what type of people do you notice by by your your designs most? It's hard to say. It's very hard to say. Because. It's, I, you know, I, do, I used to do trunk shows at Bloomingdale's and. I used to have old Southern woman from Alabama showing up at the trunk show in Georgia, in, um, in Leonard Small, in Atlanta to shop it. So it, it's mm. very, it's very hard to say. Yes, I know the, the woman or the girl, she's between the age of 24 to 35, who's buying the majority of it. And then the bigger pieces, I know it's the woman anywhere between 35 to about 54 who's shopping it. That, I, that, that, and that's a fact. We have the data to back that up. Uh, but the per, but even guys are now shopping the women's jewelry. Oh wow! I mean, it's really a, it's it's really a new age. <laughs> guys are no longer as scared to to buy delicate jewelry. Um, so I'm relaunching my women my men's collection as we speak. We're launching at Matches Fashion in London. That's interesting in terms of trends. More of a gender fluidity with with males like cis males that are wearing Matteo, you know. Normally constructed pieces for women. That's interesting. I find that interesting. Yeah, you know, you know, years to twenty in twenty in two thousand nine when I made men's jewelry, it was a tough market. There were only five, God, five men's jewelry designer at the time, and we were competing aggressively Ooh, against. Tell me other. about this. I mean, I, I had one competitor, very competitive, Caucasian designer. He thought this was his space, and he didn't want anyone in there Jeez. this man this man has sent me a cease and desist letter this man basically bullied me oh wow well how do you send somebody was, a cease and desist how does that actually like for what 
So this designer at the time, he made, he still, he probably still makes the same thing because he's not really a designer. This, Ooh, little, this oh, man, we started. Not, not being rude. <laughs> no, no, not started, but I mean, I'm, if, if we're going to talk, we're going to talk. Yeah, let's talk about it. <laughs> we can talk about it. Normally I would watch my words, but I'm, I mean, I'm just being honest. Listen. Um, he made, he made an, he made an anchor and I, I mean, since I was a child, I, I've heard about an anchor, mm-hmm. you know, since, since biblical days, we know about an anchor. You are from an unless island. You, You've seen them. I've seen an anchor. <laughs> so unless you're Jesus Christ, unless you're Jesus Christ of Nazareth, you should, you should not try to stop me from making an anchor. <laughs> like what? Like, that made no sense. Like, he wanted me to not make an anchor because he, he made an anchor. And I'm like, are you dumb? And then you made he a better anchor. As, obviously. <laughs> he went as far ahead as to tell buyers not to buy me. Ooh. This guy tried to do that to me. Ooh. Oh, yeah. 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 I never forgot him. Did he have obviously pull, didn't pull work. to make it happen? Like, cause that's, that's a mighty at, thing. At, fir- at, at first he did. And that's how I, and then I got word from retailers. They were like, oh, this guy doesn't want to sell to us if they buy my brand. That is so extra. Oh my God. But they, but you know, they do that. They do that. Very competitive guy. <laughs> anyway, obviously I'm still around. Obviously. And, <laughs> you know? um... and he also, he tried to copy my woman because he had more, he had a bigger brand name. So he tried to copy my woman's collection and then launch it. Wow. Which was also so shady. And then luckily, I, when I launched my women's, the buyers already knew my work. It was already in French Vogue. It was already sold in Colette in Paris. It was already in Russia, at Zoom, Moscow. So people already knew my work, but because he thought he had a bigger name, he thought he would have, could have placed the jewelry way ahead of me. Obviously, I shut it down. To this day, he can't he can't sell his woman's collection anywhere. Ooh. But this is the kind of nonsense that goes on in the, in this business. And uh, that's when we get into particularly uh, the space of being a black designer. Like, what what was your journey like specifically? As I mean, you're a black man before you were a jeweler, before Mateo New York, before anything. How has that affected you? Like. What did you what did you pick up on? What did you learn? How did it change you? How did it you? Well, one I'm Caribbean. So mm. my color is there and it's it's ever present, but I'm not I never think about my color. Does that make any sense? Yes. I just never think about my color. You know, Jamaica's national motto is out of many one people. Mm-hmm. So I grew up with kids, I don't know, as far as Burma Burma. I had Nigerian kids in my class. I had kids from London who were expats who moved back, you know, who moved back to Jamaica. So color was never this thing. Of course, we have colorism in Jamaica, but I don't operate in a space that, oh, I'm a black designer. It was when I came to America, I was like, oh, I'm black. <laughs> does, does that make any sense? No, it makes, I, it I makes perfect I'm, sense. Can we talk about my I'm own black. awakening to... <laughs> It's an awakening process, especially when you're coming from a place of self-love and having pride within yourself and you're up against right. a world that does not have that same understanding of you and always is trying to make you more inferior. You start to realize, ah, this is how you see me. Oh, and this is how you treat me. So. I remember I was in college. I, you know, my old best friend and I, my poor parents sent us here for college and I went to school in New Hampshire and I never forgot it. The woman, the law, the, the law professor said to me, oh, do you guys wear grass skirts in Jamaica? Ooh. And I looked around while I had full <laughs> up, full, head to toe, like done. <laughs> do you wear grass skirts in Jamaica? And I was like, excuse me? I mean, I this said, is in New Hampshire. I'm, I'm, in, I'm in resort collection by Ralph Lauren. What? <laughs> Like, what are you talking about? But, I mean, again, you come to this country and you really learn that you're Black. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I know I'm Black. I'm not, I'm not some, you know, coon floating around. Like, I know exactly who I am. <laughs> That's one of my favorite words, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is. I was counting down for it. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I so... 
when I when I go into the fashion space, I just I, I never really think about my color. I, I know it's um I know I know it sounds quite pretentious to say that, but I've had some some really tricky experiences. I remember the first time I went to a huge company to sell my collection. I'm done. Full looks, giving you head to toe Prada. You know, just trying to play the role. Mm-hmm. The Birkin is sitting there. Okay. The jewelry trays are in the back. You know, just really trying to give them a show. Those two girls walk past me in the office, in the reception room. They were looking for Mateo. They were looking are for a up- white man. They thought, look, I'm not even joking. I never forgot it. They walked past me. They were looking for some white or Italian man because the company's name was Mateo. Wow. And I sat there. And I literally waited for I responded. Because they came with, oh, he's not here yet. They went back into the room. And then they came back, oh, oh is Matteo here? And I'm like, I'm not moving a muscle. Because they <laughs> did not even look at me. Wow. And what was this for? I mean, I, I mean we laughed. But it, this was for a, store, a, a retailer. I went to a, buy, a buyer's appointment. Okay. And this was like, uh, how um, long sat, ago? How many years there. ago was this? Be- this was 2000. So this is after Rihanna wore it and everybody started calling me okay, to okay. buy the collection. So 2000, about 2010. I, I, rem- that, I yeah, remember right that era. It was still started- problematic. Still very problematic. Fashion was super white. Like, yeah. man. Super white. And, <laughs> and you, know, they, you know, they love a token blackie. They love a token blackie. Um, a token blackie. And wow. I mean, I guess I, I have... <laughs> I mean, they. I mean, they do. I mean, uh, most times I think I, I have been fortunate enough to be that. Ah. You know, I've been in rooms where I've heard people say just horrible stuff about Black Americans, but they try to say, "Oh, well, you're, you're not different. really like that." You're not really... And I'm like, "Excuse me." You know, I remember my first assistant from. I mean, he's such a sweet person, and but it's it's the level of ignorance. He was from Paris. And he said to me, he said, one of the most racist, said some, something so racist. And I was just like, I, I looked at him and he was like, you're not, well, you know what I mean? You're not really black. And I'm like, you're not really black American. And I'm like, Basic, basically, they want a cookie. Yeah. I, I'm going to give you a joke. I won't call the name of the publication. The, <laughs> the magazine featured me, gave me a full page and everything. Sweet girl, sweet girl. <laughs> and... I'm, let me let me think how to word this so oh. it, it sounds nicely. It doesn't have to sound nice <laughs> at all. And you know that. <laughs> it just has to be real. <laughs> That's it. So they gave me a they gave me a page and I mean they made a whole spectacle out of it and you know, oh you have full control of the page, do what you want to do, mm-hmm. you, have, you know, you can shoot the model, you can do all that stuff. And I'm I'm just there in the Zoom call looking at everybody in the meeting, smiling. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, that's all I can do. Because I know they literally just feel guilty. And the and, and afraid. And afraid. There's a lot of fear. Yes. Let's get into the fear. Because white yes, guilt. They're all there. Uh-huh. And you're scared of being called out. Mm-hmm. So that's why everyone is like, you know, finicky and moving around trying to be all inclusive now. You know, this this shit should have been done ages ago you know i mean since i was ten, a decade ago iman Naomi, and all those people talking about using more black models it's like every every five years i hear the same message mm-hmm. you know it's like a, it's always a trend we do it now and we go hard while we're doing it and the next season the next year we, you see two asian girls on the runway you barely see a latino on the show because she looks too a latino <laughs> you see <laughs> One Jamaican, you see one Somali and one Sudanese girl. <laughs> it's it's always the same thing. It's true. You know, we've seen, we, we, we know these girls. Yeah. Like, it's oh, always man. the same thing. It, you know, they, they all operate. And why do you think, why do you think in fashion particular it is, I mean, I just don't understand. Why is it so fucking rigid? Like, it's supposed to be a creative place the most creative space with like designers and all that but it just seems like there's such an old world hand in it like there's such like ancient designers well, it, well there is an old world people, hand you know there is an old you know i did it i i did an interview with forbes and there were they asked me if they think if i think things would change and i said not really they need to fire i mean is they need to be fired or they need to step down you know 
Diana Winters have to step down. Yeah, I know <laughs> how you Karen, feel about Karen her. Rutfeld have to step down. No, I mean, I don't hate, I don't, I mean, you know, I don't hate Anna at all. I think she is good at what she does in terms of driving that type of fair to get work done. I'm, I met, I hung, you know, I was with her and Grace Foddington in Paris and they're lovely. They're lovely people. But I do think that you need new life. You need, you need fresh blood. You need a renaissance. And unless we get that renaissance on every last board in fashion or every last, you know, every, the, the master of every magazine, we're going to have the same shit. I mean, the same garbage being regurgitated over and over again. It, it, it won't change. That's not what changes. You know, and, and I, I like Kirby fashion is from Pierre Moss. No, yeah. you know, but I think things are changing. Like Kirby just got the, from Pierre Moss, just got that creative director job. For me, that is changed. For me, yes, that is being progressive. To see yeah. a black, to see a black man getting a title like that. I, I, there's That's a lot of that right now. There's a lot of that right now that I, I really, really appreciate. But I do. I mean, that's that's how I that something is actually taking an effect, because once the black people get into those spaces, they're in those spaces and they're not about to leave. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's a new black woman who is over at CFDA, too. When I was at the CFD, when I was with the CFDA, I think I saw God. I never saw one black person. What? Never. How, 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 never, how does never that? Saw. And I mean, I. I that that's that's like that's that's a person. systematic act like that's intentional like because i'm sure unless black people are just too intimidated to even like i'm sure they're getting applicants you know i'm sure they're getting applicants i'm sure they're getting interviews like what's going on i mean i just i don't understand I'm how thinking, yeah i never saw i never saw one black person Mm-mm. and then you can't have non blacks talking about a black experience. It's, it's just <laughs> dumb. And that's what drives me insane most times. I'm like, yeah. you're not black. You don't know what a black person is going through. You, you don't know how they navigate through the space or don't speak on it, you know? So I, I always get so offended when, you know, Uncle Tom shows up, <laughs> like an actual Uncle Tom shows up and he's like telling me, you know, what diversity is. You don't know because you're not black. <laughs> I just think don't. that speaks to. So it's, it's refreshing to see that changing. I mean, it's it's important, and it's it's also people that that are more relatable. You know, like they're black, yes, but they're they're designers, relatable with relatable stories. You're like, okay, you know, this is someone who I support because I feel like a a lot of fashion is. It, it's a lot of black people spending a lot of money on motherfuckers that don't even give a fuck about a them. A lot of that, money. That don't want to represent them. Uh-huh. them. They're like, they. I mean, they don't even want some of these people wearing their shit. <laughs> you know? They really don't. But they go hard. Like, look at, look at what's going on with, like, Birkin right now. What, like, the Birkin bag, like, every, it's, it's just this big thing on Instagram. <laughs> every hip-hopper... I mean, listen, personally, I don't care. I don't, I mean, I'm not a Birkin shopper, but I'm I'm thinking about the the brand Birkin and, you know, what it was. And I guess, I, I don't know if that fits into to what they're doing, but I just feel like we need to develop our own self-esteem and self-image in fashion. And a lot of the reason why they're getting away mm-hmm. with it is because we're not totally secure in calling our own stuff luxury and of quality we're not supporting each other you know as much well i'm gonna say this and i hope i'm not bashed for it i i don't think a lot of black fashion brands are ready they're not there the quality is not there the aesthetic is not there the the talent is there don't get me wrong okay very much okay but the product is not as refined as it ought to be. Hmm. But we also don't have the education. Okay. We don't have the foundation. We don't have the mentorship. And we don't get the funding to get there. Ah. And this is what I'm hoping is going to change. Ah. You see what I'm saying? Oh, that, so that's So we have amazing. all the talent. Okay. 
we have all the talent, but we just, we need the resources. We need the education. We need the mentorship. We need the same way our white counterparts get that little help step by step along the mm-hmm, way. Mm-hmm. We need that in order to get there to have a true luxury black fashion industry. Wow. I mean, you see what Virgil is doing at Vuitton. Hmm. But again, we're not, I mean, we're not to be blamed. We just don't have the resources. We don't have the funding, you know? I think, think of, I mean, how many black brands do you know went and got funding first round, second round from venture capitalists? I don't know any. I, do you know any, do you know any know fashion either. brands that and, has gotten funding? And I know the statistics for uh, black black people getting venture capitalist, you know, investments are, are just extremely low. It's extremely low. Like, yeah. They're, they're not even willing to take. I mean, it really blows my mind when you think of uh, the, the innovative and cultural impact that black people have. And for them to like sort of doubt us until we get to a place where they know they can buy us and own us, you know, but like us starting out. And like you said, kind of like honing us and helping us grow and that support that they give to these people and, you know, you know, other white people or whatever. It's we, we don't get that. It's like either you have to be dope and ready or it's like we're not messing with you. Like, what are you doing for me? Is the attitude that they have with with black people Ex- as opposed to like, how can I help you become better? Exactly. I mean, I know I know friends who have an idea and, <laughs> you know, someone already gave them one hundred thousand dollars because they just had an idea. That 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 like you know, that, that like, blows my I, mind. It does. It it blows my mind. It gets on my nerves. And did you saw that documentary about that that girl? Gosh, I forgot. She she was one of those like con artist fraudsters. The white girl. She could she created this uh, yes, product about like blood or whatever, <laughs> like a, a like a the one drop of blood or whatever. And she got like billions uh-huh. of dollars all off. Just I don't. I mean. There was really not that much substantial. And I, I, as I was watching it, all I kept thinking about, like, imagine if she was black <laughs> and she showed up with this same. <laughs> they would have done a thorough ass investigation and like run through. But her was just like, let me call my grandfather. A like, full background check. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mother's maiden name, everything. They would have pulled everything out. But this girl, <laughs> like what she got away with. And I think about that often with these investments. I'm like, all you got to do is sort of look the part and half of it is, is being white. And it's just, it's such a struggle. It's a struggle. 100%. I mean, I'm still, I'm luckily I'm still self-funded. Oh, that's amazing. You have no investors. Strategic. You have no investors. No investors to this day. None, none. I've been quite strategic. I mean, you know me, I hustle. Yeah. And again, failure is not an option. So, so I will, you know, I'm sitting here like Jesus turning water into wine. Uh, I mean, um, so I mean, drop I drop just... some knowledge about that because that's very impressive. The fact that you own 100 percent of your business. Well, Tell us about that and why you decided not to go the investor route. Well, number one is take your time. You know, most people just want to. I don't want to be famous. I don't care to mm-hmm. be famous. I'm not I don't care to be publicized. When most people get in fashion, get into this space, they kind of want to be known. As much as they're like, oh, I just want to be a designer. They, not really. They all want to be known. <laughs> you know, they do. So they they all dress up. They all shop and, you know, they do the whole thing. And I used to be like that. Don't get me wrong. When I was younger, you know, I wanted to be known. Like, I could, now I can hide in Timbuktu and sell the jewelry and I would not care. As That's long amazing. as it's sold and I get my coins. That's amazing. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, but that's growth. That's just growth. And after going through so, so much hardship with this business, I've learned to want to humble myself and be patient. Mm-hmm. You know, so my, I, have, I have a young designer who I mentor and I said to him, take your time. Don't, don't bite off more than you can chew. And that's what I do. And that's how I've been able to sustainably grow my business. You know, I don't, I'm not making a collection every season. That's not, that's not going to happen oh. because that's right there. Yeah, I, I try, you know, I'm kind of a rebel in what I do. I don't follow the fashion calendar. You know, if I do, if I do a collection, it's because I'm truly inspired. And you show up and you buy it. If you want to buy it, if you don't want to buy it, I'm not going to consign it with you. The jewelry world is a consignment business, which I refuse to do. Ah, okay. So, 
most people don't know that. So when you see the jewelry at Bergdorf and all that stuff, Bergdorf did not buy the jewelry. Bergdorf is holding the jewelry in consignment, which means they display it in their fabulous store, in quotation marks. <laughs> and then when it sells, the designer gets their cut. Mm-hmm. Me, I'm not, I'm not going to fund any major retailer in, in this country. It's not going to happen. If you believe in the brand and you trust the brand, put your money where your mouth is. And that's why I run my business. And that's why I've been able to sustainably grow my business. Now I'm sold that I don't know, the Pote, Matches, Browns. I'm in the best stores worldwide because I've, you know, I've stayed true to who I am. And again, I love what I do. <laughs> I yes, really do. Yes. And it's my, burning, it's my burning desire. And I just refuse to fail. The, 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 the real truth behind the success of this brand is just keep going. Mm-hmm. When one door shuts, knock another door, mm-hmm. period. Mm-hmm. You know, and also just like doing thorough research. Research has helped me a lot. I don't just go out making jewelry because I, you know, I feel like I always try to fill a blank space in the market. Everything I do, I, it's well-researched. Everything I do is with an intention, mm-hmm. you know, from the Instagram page to how the visuals on the website, you know, is presented. It's it's all thought about. And I think that's very crucial in growing a successful and a, and, and a sustainable business. So the, you know, when profits come in, it all turns back over. I don't, I don't need to go to the bank and, and, you know, beg chase for a loan or anything. That, and again, that's so I'm not, knock on wood. I'm, I'm quite grateful. So yeah, I mean, I'm content. I'm content. Of course, I always want more, but I'm content. And black ownership. And also another thing to, and black ownership, another thing to being self-funded, how, how I've maintained, you know, or just, <laughs> yeah, maintained being a self-funded brand. I don't, I don't watch other designers. I think that's um, key. Because I think that's, that's a deadly art. Yeah. Yeah, that's a deadly trap, you know? When I was younger, again, I was like that. Why is this designer here? Why are they getting this placement? Why is the store carrying them? You know, that, and that's really just jealousy, to be honest. I cut all that stuff out, you know? Stop watching. I, I don't watch other designers to see their success because I, I, like I like a slow burn, you know, mm-hmm. and a slow rise. I, mm-hmm. I, 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 I'm not trying to become, I don't know, Cartier overnight. Ah. You know, Cartier and those brands have been here for over 150 years. You know, again, just take your time and that's, and that's all I do. I'm in no rush. That's amazing. Uh, I hope I mean, that was like, I hope that was some food for thought. <laughs> oh, no, it was it was perfectly inspiring. I, I always assumed that you had investors. And I think it's very interesting that you don't do the consignment thing, that you totally put your, your foot down to that. That's I mean, that's a lot of it's a lot of self-confidence and belief in your product. And I think that when you are uh, a black creator in general, not just in the design artistic space, like, you know, there there's some time you, you kind of get people try to jig you a little bit into making you feel like, you know, you should feel fortunate or happy to be here, you know. And um, I think it's well, amazing. Well, that, see, see, that is a, what you just said is a key thing with with fashion as well. They like to feel as if they're do, doing you a favor when you're black. And mm-hmm. I always sense that from some buyers. So if, if I sense that energy, I don't work with that store. Because this mm. is a, you know, this is a relate. This is a relationship. This is not a one-man show. So, I mean, I'm no longer with Bergdorf because of that kind of behavior. Ooh. I used to be at Bergdorf and I never forgot. I'm calling names because I mean, yes. I'm, I'm going to be completely transparent. Mm-hmm. The, the, the buyer basically was rude to me. <laughs> like rude. Like you should be honored to be in our store. Buyers are horrible. I, I've, I've, I, I mean, like, I, I don't like buyers. I, I mean, I'm just going to put it no, out there. No, you should, you should have heard how she. You should have heard how she spoke to me. You should have heard how she spoke to me <laughs> in the email. Woo. But I'm the right person for that nonsense. Because one, <laughs> I picked up the phone and I called her. You called her. I said, "Don't you ever." I called her. I said, "Don't you ever talk to me like that again." Number one, you should be honored that I'm in your store. Number two, you can't even pay me from the six months to a year you have owed me. This is Bergdorf Goodman. You shouldn't be owing me. I said, pull everything from your floor. 
My assistant went up, picked up the jewelry. Dramatics. Yeah. And that was the last time. I love it. You no, know, I was. I was like, that was the last time. I, that was the last time I saw a Burger Goodman. Wow. I mean, because it's a relationship. You can't yeah. think you're doing me a favor. It doesn't work like that. Mm-hmm. You know, I, this is why I never sold to Barney's as well. You know, Barney's wanted me to leave all, leave every other door and come to them exclusively. And I said to her, how much am I going to make? Uh-huh. You have to know your work. Yes. And, yes. I, and I've always known my work, you know? She said to me, we need you to leave all your doors. You can't sell to X, Y, and Z if you're going to be with us. And I'm looking at her like, girl, you can't even pay your bills. Ooh. And we see today that Barney's is closed. Ooh. I mean, I knew they were going to close. <laughs> They, they <laughs> <Bloop>. <laughs> so that's why I never sold to them. Oh wow! <laughs> I mean, no, I, that I, was I'm a smart move because you would have gotten an email at the very but, last minute, and that's how they do problems. things. Oh my god! I still get an email from Neiman Marcus to this day, talking about their bankruptcy. Again, <laughs> the reason a lot of these stores are failing is because okay. they are not treating. Their designers, mm-hmm, well, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, that's why some stores don't carry the right merchandise. Buyers get these jobs and they develop an ego and they start buying what they think is fabulous and what. It's not how it works, unfortunately. I think um, it, I think so it no, gets, that's the last time I sold too. I think it gets. I think it's it very. I think it gets very deep because, like, being a native New Yorker, my first time experiencing that environment was like my my first job at atrium right years and years ago and mm-hmm. like the buyers there and the, it's it's a lot of like transplant energy of these girls from milwaukee and these towns or whatever and they come to the city and i mean i'm not trying to go in on nobody but like they're giving off a sense of having this like worldly cultured persona of people that have traveled all these places and know so much art history. Like they're giving you this persona that they don't have. This and they probably just got a passport. <laughs> exactly. And they they project no. that insecurity onto people that are actually the tastemakers and and the trends. And and they end up corrupting the business. Because like if Barney's is going out of sale or going out of business with that much history, it has a lot to do with the people that are representing and choosing what to, to sell and buy. And if they're all like parading around with this exactly. plant energy, is what I'm calling it. Like, of course it's going down. Uh, many more will go down. Watch and see. You'll see. <laughs> I think this is yeah. the this is the year that a lot of American retailers are going to fail. I mean, most of my accounts are actually in the UK. Okay. Because you know, they have one mastered how to buy, and they have mastered e-commerce. You know, a lot of a lot of the American stores they haven't they haven't even focused on their e-commerce. This is why Barney's closed. They never own their e-commerce website. This is why companies like Netapote, Matches, and Farfetch are crushing crushing every last retailer in America. So is that the when everyone future? was struggling during COVID? Yeah. Online is definitely the future. Online is definitely the future. What's going to happen later on? Maybe there's a a, a a physical store which is going to be like a showroom, so you can come in and touch the fabric. And I don't know, maybe try on something, but you're gonna shop everything on your phone. That's what I that's what I envision. When mm-hmm. I had a store in Soho, I saw the trend coming. I closed a store in 20, mm-hmm. 2018. I remember someone bought something from Master Place when they could have easily just walked down to the store. For me, that was an eye-opener. Because mm-hmm. if you are literally blocks away from the store, why don't you walk down? Mm-hmm. For me, that for me, that was. A pivotal moment. I was like, I have to close the store. Ooh. I need to just focus on e-commerce and put all the money into the e-commerce business, which is what I've done. I always thought like brick and mortar was, I mean, of course, I, I don't know that much about what's going on. But like, uh, I always thought brick and mortar was like legitimizing to a brand. Like, ultimately, you're working to get to a point where you could just have a store and you could have like, oh, this is my place. But like you're saying, like, covid the covid era that we're in i feel like it's it's going to last even past covid like who who's going to want to switch yeah. their habits when it's easier so everything you do online has to be impeccable then like everything you present and how you present online it has to be it's all about content you need videos you need <laughs> you need the right images i mean you need still life you need 
measurements to show scale is very, very crucial. It's a, I think it's, it's a huge business if you get it right online. And I've seen that, I mean, during COVID, knock on wood again, I didn't, I, I didn't see a decrease at all. I, I've only grown since February. That's amazing. And I, and I know I'm ashamed to say that, but I, I've only seen a growth. And hence why I moved to Texas and got a bigger space. I guess some businesses that are booming. I mean, at the end of the day, this is that's that's capitalism. That's that's America. Like this is why you left Jamaica to come here and succeed against all odds. So I don't think you know there should be. And move back to Jamaica. That's my goal. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Let's talk about post George Floyd, right? Like. And this moment, how, I mean, me as, as someone who just wrote her first book, like a content creator and, you know, someone who, who deals a lot with like black thought and, and narrative, I noticed a lot of interest. <laughs> I mean, it's not, I've always been around. I've always been here talking, you know, it's like a focused interest mm-hmm. on what I had to say. And, oh my God, uh, let, let me learn something and da da da. And like this post George Floyd world or whatever. How, how has that affected you as a jeweler? Or I mean, and, and I guess the quote white guilt purchase, <laughs> like, what are you noticing? <laughs> like who's like, how do they even, cause you, I mean, I know we spoke about this. How do they know to find you? They're finding you and they're just buying because you're black and like they're discovering you. And like, are these repeat clients? Like, well, when George, when the George, when the George Floyd thing happened, Every publication posted black designers. Every publication. Hmm. I was turning down interviews. Wow. And I've been and I've been around since 2009. Wow. <laughs> like I've been around since 2009. I said to one editor, I'm not new. Wow. I'm not new. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I said to her, if you I said, go Google the brand, we've been around. We've been in every Vogue worldwide. Mm-hmm. Every last one from Ukraine. I don't know, Pakistan, we've been in, we've been in, we've been in Berlin. Just saying, like we're not new. And it's a shame that you're now just informing yourself about black brands. I mean, I was, I, I know other designers that were turning down interviews because they just, they got, they got fed up with it. You know, <laughs> it's like, we've been around. We've not been in a cave or under some rock. Um, so I saw a lot of that during, during the George Floyd. And I was like, I, you know, as I said, I've only seen increase in sales because of George Floyd, which I'm grateful for, but it's sad that someone had to lose their life. Yeah. So, you know, we can get noticed. It's quite sad. And it's, it's even sadder because this is the same shit that happened in the 60s and the 70s. Yeah. In the early 90s. It's, 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 my mom always says there's nothing new under the sun. Um, I mean, but living I, I, in Texas, I, ooh, I living yeah. in Texas, I've seen quite. I mean, my neighborhood is all Republicans. The man put a sign in my in my yard. Um, what? Put a Trump sign in my Stop yard. It. Stop it! Stop it! Are you serious? Not even joking. I'm not joking. I, I'm gonna show. I have a photo. He, he put it in it's your in yard. You, the man put a. Tr- you have to be careful. Put it. Put, put it now in my I'm yard. Worried. You have to be careful. That sounds like an act of racism. You know me, and I'm trying to. Jeez. He was very polite in the way that, you know, those people are. In and your yard, though? They left three signs in my yard. In my yard. Yeah, I was quite, I was quite uncomfortable. <laughs> and I have, you know, I have met the, the contractor as a Mexican, actually. It was very lovely. And he was uncomfortable, too, that it was even, the sign was there. He said to me, Mr. Mateo, are you a Republic? Are you a Trump supporter? And I was just like, oh, my God, no. So I literally had to come downstairs and take it out of the yard. So it's in my garage. You know, it's, I think I sent it on a live photo to a friend. But that's what happened to me. The point I'm trying to make is the majority of America outside of New York and LA, they're Trump supporters. And we, us as New Yorkers, we fundamentally think that this is America. New York is, New York is the world. And it's not, it's not true. You know, when you go to middle America, it's literally just Trump. <laughs> I mean, when I drove from when I drove from LA to Texas, 
I mean, I was nervous. I didn't, I, I literally didn't drive during the night. We pulled over and got, a, got into a hotel. It was, just, it was all pro-Trump flags everywhere. So do I think, think I, things are going to change? I'm not so optimistic because we've seen this over and over again. I feel like... Um, Until black people really get angry. Uh, I feel like ideologically things definitely aren't going to change. That's why, I mean, I have an issue with white liberals when they're, we're fighting white supremacy. No, you're not, you can't, you can't deconstruct white supremacy. You, there's no whiteness without white supremacy. Okay. White, the, the, the day white supremacy is, is terminated, white people will disintegrate like the Wicked Witch of the West. Like they don't exist without us, without our oppression. They're, that's just how, that's who they are. But I feel like in terms which of is, like which resistance. Is sad. I mean, that's to me, that's the, re- the reality that they've showed us. This isn't me saying some black nationalist rhetoric. This is what they've showed us, that they can't just be without oppressing us. You know, Well, let, let me give you a joke. This because this is an, this is in the American system. This is from from their born during George Floyd, I, I became a professor. I don't know if you saw my post on Instagram. I was like, OK, so I'm a professor. I'm an activist. <laughs> I am a designer all in one month. I literally became a professor. I was teaching, I was teaching uh, Americans about their history. Oh my God. Oh my God. I was like, what the fuck did you learn in school? It made no sense to me. And then one said to me, somebody said something bad about Haiti. Like Haiti ain't shit in that sense. And I'm like, First of all, America is independent today because of Haiti, because of Toussaint Louverture, who overturned <laughs> and got freedom. That inspired Americans to get independence in the 19, in the 1770s. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But they don't know that. No one taught them that. It's a <laughs> black man who led freedom in the new world. Yeah. That's why your fucking ass is, is free here today. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? But they don't learn that in school here. They don't. And it's a, it's a shame. And it's not only they that they, they, they don't here. learn it. It's systemically designed for, for like, I was, I was researching, like, textbooks. They're made a certain way. Like, there's a whole delegation in, con- like, c- Congress of people that decide what, how to alter textbooks. What goes in the books. Yes. Yeah, because this is very, this is uh-huh. imperative to the white supremacist, like, system. Like, you can't teach them too much about slavery and the black, you know, the black experience. Otherwise, they will turn into to, to Prince Harry, who just made a declaration. Now I know I've awakened to, to black racism, white racism, and, you know, just saying strong statements like that, like... The more people wake up to privilege like that. And his family is the foundation. And his family is the foundation to all these. They are the epitome of the word colonizer. (laughs) Which is insane. They are the colonizers. (laughs) They are colonizers. That's who they are. It doesn't get like any more supreme than that. And I mean, he just spat in their face. And that was everything. That was, that's the full moon catharsis I needed. That was everything. I'm like, you know what? Good job, Archie. Good job, Megan. Yes, because I mean, look, Amer- look what it Amer- took from America America has to. I mean, yeah, but also, I, you know, again, America has to change the education system. They have to really start from the roots. I, I, I was, I, I met a guy. I was dating a guy, and he was like a gay, a gay, gay guy from Alabama. I mean, he said to me, "I grew up, I grew up to be raised to be racist." Wow. He was raised to be racist. Like he said that to me. Wow. Like he has anxiety going back home because when he goes home, the dad speaks that way. You know, his mm. grand, he remember his grandmother saying stuff. So this is, and it's so deeply ingrained oh, yeah. in Americans. It's, it's, it's quite hard for them to move forward unless, I don't know, they move to New York or move to California where the cities are more liberal. And even not, that, you know, they, they bring some of in, their shit in here these too. Bubbles. Oh, I mean, they sure do. They bring they their sure gentrifier do. energy here. Quite a bit of it. And they still don't get it. And like <laughs> gentrifier they, energy. I mean, they make, I mean, if you go to Brooklyn, there's some neighborhoods that have like picket fences and like you walk down them and they look like little towns. And you wonder why the, why it mm-hmm. looks like this. It's because the gentrifiers are making it look like back home, you know? I mean, I'm not trying to sound like some radical New York loyalist, 
even though I sort of am, but I'm being as objective as is you know possible. <laughs> like I'm not even gonna get into the gentrifiers. I'm not even gonna talk about that right now. But um, I mean, listen, oh. I, I feel like for me, what's most important in engaging from from your experience is is the tenacity that you've displayed and the black ownership. And also, like, I've always been impressed with how you kind of stand up to you stand up to a lot of like racist things and you do it very fabulously. You know, it's like you're not you're not coming out of pocket with the ghetto like you will do it with a, some long vent. No, because what you will not what, <laughs> what you will not get from me is no, because Americans like to to love. They love to say black people are angry. Mm -hmm. And again, we ought to be. Mm -hmm. But what I will not give you the opportunity to do is to say that I'm an angry black man. You won't ever get that because I'm going to gather you so eloquently. I will, I'm going to destroy you with words. And then I'm going to smile at the end and I'm going to walk out knowing that I did not give you what you expected. Yes. Yes. They were expecting some ghetto, some ghetto shit. And I'm, I'm not going to do that with you. The accent is going to get heavier. You know how I, yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> this is just what I do because this how I, it's how I was raised, you mm -hmm. know. Um, and I'm a proud black man from Jamaica. Oh yes, it's, it's all I know. Yes, it's, it's really all I know, and I refuse to have, you know, <laughs> I refuse to have anyone, you know, belittle or demean my work, myself, and just my pride as well, you know, because I've, I've struggled and I've worked hard to accomplish every last bit of what I'm accomplishing because I'm not finished yet, clearly. Oh, you, you're, you're just getting started. Let's get a little bit lighter. Tell me about some of the women that you've adorned with your jewelry. Like, who's someone that you, you just, you know, you God. people that you love to see? Because I know Zendaya, like, when I saw her in your piece. She is one of the most fantastic human beings I've met. And for that alone, I am always willing to send jewelry to her because she's so sweet. You know, you know how celebrities are. They get this, they become a celebrity. They, have, they develop this air. This girl has this humility, which is, which is uncanny. It, it's super nice. I met her well, a few years ago in LA when I was doing the CFDA fashion show in LA. And she was just so sweet and like genuinely beautiful. It, and mm. it, it's quite refreshing. Because everyone is so affected and is so made up, you know. This simple girl was just so sweet. She was like, "Oh, and and, and you know, she's like, I know who you are. I know your work, and just sweet and humble. And for me, that goes a long way, you know. My mom always says, um, "Humble calves, you know, they they drink the most milk," and and I think mm -hmm. she's a prime example of that. And this is why today I think she's so successful. And we just saw her won the Emmy. Oh yeah. So she's one of my favorites that I adore. Um, but other girls I like as well. I mean, Kate Bosworth, she's sweet. She's worn the jewelry. I love Cynthia. Um, I, I, am I pronouncing her name properly? Cynthia Evaro. Cynthia Erivo. Erivo. Cynthia Erivo. She's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Lovely, lovely girl. And she, you know, we talk, we talk on Instagram and we talk on, on, on you know, text. Um, I love girls like that and that are just truly beautiful inside and out. I know it sounds mm. cliche, there are some people that I that I that I've been able to adorn with the jewelry, and a few of them are just really beautiful human beings inside and out. So those are just a few of the ones that I really, really, really like. And also, I, you know, I work with some of the best stylists as well. So I, I have to always give them the thanks because they really come through for me all the time. Like Law Roach, he always pulls my work. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, Jason Bolden. A lot of there's some really good stylists out there. Wayman. Mm. So no, I'm. I'm but a lot of this, a lot of these people, I am, I'm happy that they are wearing the work and they know about the brand. Because you know, there's so many jewelry designers and so many product is out there. So I'm always just again humbled and grateful that my brand is chosen at the end of the day after a fitting is done. That's amazing. And from those those stylists that you met, something I wanted to ask you is about like the community of because I know Law Roach spoke about that, like within the black world of this elite world, black people, black people choosing to 
to kind of go the direction of using more black talent, which is really important. And you guys working with each other, you know, making sure that you're looking out for each other. Yeah, it's 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 nice, especially when you're 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 fighting for placements among some of these big brands. It's really truly nice. So I love to see when you know they use Christopher Rogers and those other brands and you know Pierre Moss on 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 major celebrities. It, it's nice. Yeah. All right. Well, I have just one more question. <laughs> Um, why are you laughing? Because I mean, because <laughs> I'm looking at the question. Um, was there a takedown, a fashion takedown that you were really happy to see, like someone that something that you read in the tabloid? I mean, not the tabloid, like the the headlines, and you were like, yes, someone that they got with this whole post Floyd um <laughs> moment. I, I I don't think so. There's so much more left to be changed and so many more people to be called out. So no, I, I, I don't think that moment has happened yet. You know, we still have some really shitty people in positions. Oh, yeah. And they have all went ahead and gotten a black counterpart to now show up to be that face. So they can still maintain power and hide. Is it the the Andre Leon tally yin and yang? To me, it's the day that Anna Wintour. I mean, talk, you know, is is taken down. That's that's like when that Columbus statue, that Robert E. Lee right. statue, when that joint falls. Like when you know that it did fall. I think it did fall. But yeah, so we're waiting for her. She's I'm gonna, the I'm last. Gonna, I'm, 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 I'm waiting. Not just not just her. There's so many others. At least Anna is way more progressive than the others. That's true. I mean, she is. <laughs> I mean, she, she's getting there. But, but a I lot mean... of these people don't. She's getting there. But I think she truly is. But we're also, when, when, when you're in a position like that, mm-hmm. you're thinking about the American woman. To them, they think white is, is, is the American thing, to be white, which is not true. Mm-hmm. So when you're the editor-in-chief of a magazine, you're thinking about the advertisers. So you're thinking about the DNGs, you're thinking about the Longvans, the Givenchy and all these brands that are probably, the girls in those ads are probably white. <laughs> yeah. So they're catering to who they think their market is when, when you look on the streets, half of Givenchy is, is the black boys from the hood in Givenchy. <laughs> do you remember five years ago, every black boy had on a Givenchy shirt? Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> well, what that's I want us black people to stop doing is stop waiting for these people. Stop waiting. For, hmm. You know, that's my thing. Stop waiting for one, their demise, because I could care less at this point. Okay. We okay. need to start creating our own. That's That's what we need to do. You know, we need our own luxury black magazine that we go to you know not the essence which i adore and the ebony's but they have been there and they're not it we need a black version of book book for ourselves so we we're not here waiting for validation from these white magazines you know i think a year and a half ago i sent out an email to i think 20 black designers and i said guys let's come together and do something mm-hmm. for Four designers responded. Four. That's not bad. Four. That's uh, terrible. <laughs> and the four, the four didn't even have a full brand. Uh, you know, they were ready. The ones who I expected to respond, they didn't respond. Hmm. It didn't. Uh, as a black designer, I want to see us truly come together. We don't have to like each other. <laughs> we mm-hmm. don't. We mm-hmm. don't have to like each other. We don't have to like each other's work. But we still sit at one table and we say, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to present it. This is how we're really going to make a change. And the Blacks, we don't do that. We don't. I think the, the, I think the difference has to do with the fact that I think, let's not underestimate the sense of pride that you have and where you come from and who you are in your Blackness. A lot of, I mean, not a lot of, but I don't want to say that generally, but there's there's a considerable amount of black people in these spaces 
that are still working to towards white acceptance, that are still working to to get validation. So when you come to them with something that's very like black empowered, which is what we need, they're 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 like to them it just seems like it's bringing it's taking them further away from that white acceptance. So you get to a place with within yourself where you're like very comfortable with who you are and and what you're about to to get there. So in order to create that, you need to find a network of other people that are like you. And that's what that's that's what's not there. <laughs> that's what's not there. You know? I don't I I don't know if it's there. I've tried, I've really tried. I sent out this email. I haven't sent follow-ups, nothing. Nothing. So now I'm I, now I, you know, I'm mentoring this guy who is launching a Netaporte. I I I'm bringing him on. But he just won a grant as well. His name is Jamil, the brand is called Kerry. It's actually inspired by Africa and the diaspora, Ooh. the collections that he do, that he does, I should say. Super cool. So launching on Interporte. So no, I'm just, I'm, I'm doing my own thing. You know, I don't need any trophies. I don't need any praises. I just want to, I just want to see us really just come together and do it and create our own. So we don't have to seek the validation from our counterparts, but we don't need it, you know? Black people, show, I, you know, even here in Houston, I go to the mall, the Galleria. The Vuitton is packed. There's a line. The Gucci, there's a line of just black people. Duh. Why can't we have something like that where you sh- where we're shopping a black brand like that? My, my mind is blown. <laughs> I mean, that's that's that is mind blowing when you think of like just how much black wealth there is and how much black celebrity and, and, and connection and. I mean, there's there's so much money being put into like music and, and sports and all, all these other places. But where where's the fashion? I mean, are there any is there one fashion black? Like, is there one? There has to be one. Just like a black owned super brand. No, there has to be one. There has not, to be one. Not one. No, not one. Think about it. Not Tracy Reed. I haven't seen a Tracy Reed's dress in what five years. Where's Tracy Reed sold? <laughs> I don't know. I, I mean, lately yeah, Laquan exactly. Smith. Laquan no, Smith is doing just... some cool stuff. I mean, with, with with clothing, and he's opening. You said one super brand. I mean, it's not a super brand, but I mean, it... I love Laquan. Love Jackie, who works with him, but again. We don't have the infrastructure. We don't have the funding. So, so that's we don't have what the mentorship. That that's what needs to be developed. Because that when you were saying that before, when you're talking about a magazine, I was thinking rectory, like some something that someone can access, like a creator can access, to to kind of contact people. But I mean, coming from the space of just being like thought leader and and writer, I can say that there's a lot of crabs in the barrel mentality. And I was I was really surprised by yeah. the lack of community. You know, like they're they're very kind of uh, there's an elitism even when it comes to people that are writers and kind of doing the same thing. It's like they kind of want to be within themselves mm-hmm. and they're not really open to extending themselves to to other black people, even though. Right. They're for the big cause. Like we're here helping black people, but you, you there, I'm not going to help you, but we're going to help like the whole blackness and blackness just becomes about ranting about whiteness. Blackness becomes anti-whiteness and there's not enough black empowerment. There's not work towards the community and building. That's, that's one of my number one gripes. I'm like, to me, blackness is not just anti-whiteness. And I, I'm not going to spend all day talking about white people. I, I mean, that's not what me being black is, you know? No, it's, 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 it's so counterproductive. Makes no sense. Yeah. <laughs> I mean. One thing is, you know, we in, in America, we were almost forced, we're almost forced to believe that there is only space for one of us. And I think that has damaged a lot of black Americans and a lot of black brands and a lot of, you know, black educators. There's all they, all they make us feel as if there's only one, there's only one space left for mm-hmm. us, and we have to kick that notion out. And until then, we're like, come Aisha, come you know, come come Tom, come Dick, come Laquan, come yeah. like come everyone because there's exactly. there's space. Do you, exactly. know, do you know what I mean? That's um, the ultimate message, and but I'm most, glad that. 
that you said that. Yeah, we have to truly believe that there is space for everyone. Because again, I've seen blacks shut out of the blocks because mm-hmm. they are scared to lose their position, you know, and, and that mentality has to change. You know, this is why I decided to take a jewelry designer with me to the biggest retailer worldwide, which is Santa Forte. I took him with me because what's his is his and what's mine is mine. Mm-hmm. You know, his shine is not going to diminish my shine at all. <laughs> it's just strong. I, I strong. I'm a firm believer that what's yours is yours and what's mine is mine. It's a, it's a philosophy that I live by. I try to always get rid of any thoughts or desire of jealousy. It just it, it doesn't help you know, my soul and also the karma out of it too. It doesn't help. And as a lot of us black designers, we have to really get rid of that out of our heads. And that's really how the whole fashion, <laughs> the fashion world let us think that it is one of us. Anyway, sorry, I'm like rambling because no, I'm thinking no. about an experience. I mean, amen, <laughs> amen. I mean, and that speaks to the whole community as well. And I will let, I mean, I feel like you've, you've inspired so much from this and I'm going to go back and listen to it because there's points of it that are very reaffirming. And I think you should consider, you know, sharing your thoughts as much as you can with people that are bringing up, are coming up, because I think it's very important to hear. And thank you so much for giving me your time and your wisdom and congratulations on your success. And, uh, you know, I'm very proud. Yes. And bonsoir. (laughs) Bonsoir.